maybe a bit of a clunky start, guys, but uh, here we are. This week's What Comes Next Live is coming to you live from the offices of Tortoise Media in central London. Uh, my guest on the same screen um, this week is Tessa Murray, part of the team at Tortoise. Um, I've been a member of Tortoise since, ooh, I think about three weeks before the pandemic started, when um, I was introduced by a friend, Toby, from California, who was, said, I'm only a remote member. It must be great to be in London. They go into, go into Tortoise all the time to their thinkings. And I went to one with Paul Krugman. Um, and then literally about two weeks later, the world changed and Tortoise did an utterly stunning job. In my mind, the best of any organization of taking their connection with their members and, and ideas and stories online uh, with the Tortoise thinkings. Um, tonight, however, Tessa and the team are this is one of those seemed like a good idea at the time. I'm coming to your Christmas event. Um, I think in late, I think you call it or something like that. Um, and therefore I thought, well, why don't we just do the recording beforehand and I was coming. Seemed like a great <laughs> idea at the time. Anyway, so after that, there, there will be chaos. If there's chaos all around us and lots of noise, you will understand why. So meanwhile, here we are at Tortoise and welcome Tessa. Thank you, Tom. And so yeah, you can hear by the banging doors and the chairs being dragged across floors upstairs that we are in the middle of um, just rejigging the entire office for the lates tonight, which is our Christmas special thinking with a quiz. With a quiz? With a quiz. Okay. Well, Be the I'm, editors. I'm definitely in. I know. I love a quiz. Okay. So um, tell us a little bit about, uh, well, you and I have, uh, I guess, connected a bit through Twitter here and there. Um, you're not the face of Tortoise. You've been around for a while. Um, That's true. Well, sorry. <laughs> I've been around a really long time. <laughs> Not as long as me. You're younger than me. Um, but, but just what? That's very kind of you. But what? What do you? What? Tell me. Tell, tell me a little bit about Tortoise from your perspective, and what? What do you do um, around here? Um, well, like I, I mean, as I say, you know, we are a startup. So frankly, you know, I could be putting the bloody toner in the, you know, photocopy one day. No, but seriously, I joined. Um, I've got a bit more time under my belt with Tortoise than you have. I joined in June. 2019, mm-hmm. so what's that, three and a half years ago now, mm-hmm. um, and I first got involved um, actually in, at the end of 2018. We did a Kickstarter to try to um, sort of raise a bit of money, but we had we had some backing from people, but it's really to create a sort of testbed of readers. Mm-hmm. So we did a Kickstarter, I think May have been the most successful journalistic project ever on Kickstarter. I don't know it was. Um, but I, I actually backed the Kickstarter just as a punter mm. um, because I was obviously, um, you know, I watched with great admiration what James Harding had done in his career at sort of Thai as editor of the Times and then the BBC. And when he left the BBC, you know, as the director of comms in the city at the time, we were all like, oh, I thought he's going to do next, you know. And so when the Kickstarter came up, I thought, oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to put a little bit of... Um, money into it as just a normal Kickstarter thing. And then I sort of started coming to the prototype thinkings and I, I knew James from back in the day with sort of the same age. We came up, you know, around the same time. But I hadn't met Katie Bannock, so the other co-founder before and met her. And of course, you know, that classic come and have a coffee turned into a sort of three-day-a-week contract. So I, well, I'd, I'd sort of tried to retire at that point, um, but I, they kept they called me back in. And mm-hmm. so I came back in and initially started to work with them on, 
you know, as a direct comms, if I were on the other side of the table from Tortoise, what would I be looking for that could be a partnership from a commercial aspect? Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously they're all over the editorial, but, you know, commercially, how are we going to create a different revenue model for a newsroom that wasn't based on advertising? Right. So uh, the, the idea was that you would kind of have partnerships where you took the tortoise model, the tortoise idea of convening conversations, collective understanding, and you'd run events or sessions within people's businesses, and that gave you a commercial model that was very different to most other news organisations. Right. So that was that's three and a half years ago. As I said, I mean, you know, we're we're a tiny startup, frankly, so you end up doing all sorts of things I've done stuff on the commercial side, I kind of wore my old hat of PR more mm-hmm. for certain things like, um, you know, when we started launching some quite big things like Sweet Bobby mm-hmm. and trying to sort of get our stories more visibility outside of our membership base, I, I did more work on sort of more from traditional sort of PR. Mm-hmm. Um, and then more recently, I've just taken on a sort of new role, which is to work on our forums. So those are five verticals that we sort of take a deep dive into energy ai food um investment and then one specific one called the responsible 100 which is a a close look at the um the FTSE 100 Mm. against a set of criteria that we've developed or an index we've developed that's sort of based on based on the sdgs that adapted because Mm -hmm. they were designed for countries and we kind of tweak them for companies um and what i do is i i sort of bring the forums together from a sort of programming and a, and a content perspective say, right, what are the conversations in energy or AI that really need to be happening at the moment? And if we want to have the most useful, forward-looking, kind of action-oriented, where do we go from here, all under the banner of responsibility, then who do we need in the room to have those conversations? And I sort of build those forums from that perspective, which could suggest to me that's like, I'm like a pig in mud. You know, all my favourite things, learning, masses of curiosity um, and sort of matchmaking, bringing people together who I think I find um, it interesting. I mean, I'm, you know, I have, I'm in my dream job, basically. So you mentioned that you've um, you know, been polite around age, but you mentioned you've been you know, doing a hell of a lot of things for about 30 years. Right? And so being able to be curious and learn. I'd say that that is a that, that is a gift in a job at any time. Um, a little bit about tortoise for the the podcast yeah. audience is that, if, just from my perspective, simplify. Uh, there's a bit of a clue in the name. There's the idea originally is a slow news organisation, so it takes time. Doesn't do daily news. Yeah. Yes, there's there's now a plethora of different podcasts and and newsletters and stuff. But broadly, it's about taking time to invest in big stories like old fashioned news. Yeah, and it's also you're completely right, Tom, and 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 you know. It's really nice to hear you say that as somebody consumes our stuff because it sounds like, you know, um, we're getting some of it right. The, the slow, which is like, you're not going to come to us to find out what's happened today. You're not going to no. put us on like Sky or BBC. But you're probably going to come to us to find out why. Hmm. And more importantly, kind of what next? Because news is very good at recording what's happened. Hmm. We're, we're, we're equally as interested in what's going to happen next. And I think that's sort of, um, you know, the, 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 you know, where we go from here conversation is, um, it, it, it features into all of our stuff and we always try to come in also very much from a sort of human narrative perspective. Mm. We want to tell you a story. Yes. You know, the most exciting words apart from will you marry me are I'm going to tell you a story. Yeah. Yeah. Or as one of my mentors always said to me, never make a point without telling a story. Well, I'm, 
queen of anecdote. Um, mm. uh, but but the, the, the thing you say about sort of knocking around for quite a long time and still being curious, I think I think the thing that I've found has changed in me mm. the most is I am so unafraid now to say, I don't know, or I don't understand that. Right. And I think, I don't know, fascination, or confidence, or whatever, but to be honest enough to say, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but I'd really like to find out. Or, hmm. actually, I don't really understand that. Could you have another runner explaining that to me? I'm so unafraid of saying that. Um, and I think maybe when I was younger, I thought it was a sign of weakness to say, hmm. I don't understand. Well, I think that's, that's, I want to come back to the, 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 the strategic shift in the news of the tortoise, but what you just said there at a human level is huge because, you know, we're both parents of a n- number of kids. And like, well, quite as many as you, Tom, then. Not true. Yeah. Um, when you're, when you're trying to see how can you best support them, yeah. confidence is a big thing. And the example, the corporate example that comes to mind to me is there are lots of top business leaders out there of large corporations that we know are really famous. But if you ask most people, they have no idea who the CEO of Microsoft is. Yeah, yeah. And his name is Satya Nadella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he, there was a book, I think, I'm not sure, it was a ghostwritten or autobiography written a few years ago called Hit Refresh, because he turned around Microsoft. Yeah. But one of the key lessons from him is that he walks around the place and people yeah. go, what should we do, boss? Yeah. And he, his famous line is, you'll say, I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? But, but the when he's parenting saying, analogy but, is exactly but, the same, yeah. To finish the point, and actually just you acknowledge, and it, and it, I'll try. Yeah. Uh, but, but to acknowledge you is that, um, if you deliver that from a position of fear, from a position yeah. of, heck, I don't know. Yeah. But if you're in a team meeting or with anybody about any situation, you go, you know, can you have another one explain that to me? Um, I really didn't quite understand that. But you're, the way you even said it, just now, exudes a confidence that there's not much I haven't had a go at in my career. Once I understand it, I'll, I'll be able to add value here and help the team, the business move forwards. Yeah. So having humility allied to confidence is what my friend Chip Connolly calls, you know, being part of it in a, in a in, using the L word of leadership is being a vulnerable visionary. Like saying, I don't know, like Nadella saying, I don't know what, I don't know what do you think. It gives people an empowerment, but it's ultimately going to have the confidence to know, we'll work it out, I will make a decision if need be, or we'll get it sorted, and it just helps people step up. But I think you'll I mean, you know, there is so much read across from maybe parenting to 20 years, mm. and that's not suggesting in any way, you know, your colleagues are children, not at all. No. But I've learned a huge amount from what I would call sort of instructive parenting, which is buckle the issue, don't forget your school bag, mm. have you got your swim kid? It's a like instructive, instruction led parenting to suddenly finding myself with teenagers where that doesn't work anymore. So you right. have to say, when someone says, I don't want to do that, you go, well, what are your options? Yeah. And you, and you say, well, what, what are the choices here? There's mm. not, this is what you need to do because you're not arming anybody with the ability to, to assess the situation by themselves. If you keep giving out instructions, to your children say, well, what you need to do is that, they won't form the kind of critical faculty to, to work these things out themselves, or more importantly, to assess, uh, you know, assess the risks of different options. So I remember just having this real moment with my girls thinking, this isn't about telling you what to do. This is about exploring the options with you. And so when you say, I used to say, well, what are your options? What? And they go, well, I could do that, I could do that, I could do that. And you say, okay, that's interesting. Which one are you leaning towards? 
And they go, well, I'm thinking that. And then you go, sounds perfect. You've got really good judgment. You know, and you'd sort of, you know, it would have been quicker to just say, do, do yeah. that. But you, you know, you've basically trained them to trust their own judgment because you're not going to be with them at moments where they're going to have to exercise that judgment. They're going to be in a situation where you're not around. So they've got to train it like a muscle. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that sort of, um, of course your children look to you for safety and, and security. But most, I mean, I think most of us are going to go, we don't want a solution. We just want someone saying, I hear you. Yeah. You yeah. Know. It's like the, the, the old fashioned and fairly gender stereotypical thing about if your, if your wife gets home from work, uh, and says, I've had a terrible day and they start telling you about it. Men should learn, if men can learn never to try to fix it for them, but just to say, would you like a glass of wine? I'll listen. <laughs> we yeah. know. Or um, you sound like you managed it perfectly. It's very good. That's um, the luck. You, well, you, you were so, so, yeah, I mean, so it sounds like if, if you're in a situation where, you know, you don't, don't necessarily know in the moment exactly what to do, but you have that, you're now unafraid of not knowing. And so it's a double negative. But you actually can then go and say, well, what do I need to know? In, you have a lot of journalists in, in, in the organization. You're not a journalist, but you do understand it. You come mm-hmm. from a director of comms position. Mm-hmm. Um, when we spoke before we came on, you know, you've got a wealth of experience. You can be trusted in the team to, to know that you can, as you said, add value once you understand the perspective. It's connecting the dots. It's like curiosity and learning. But it's completely aligned to what we try to create for everyone with resources, <clears throat> whether you're a team mm. member or whether you're a, a, you know, a member. Mm. Because if you think about, say, for people who don't understand it, one of the key, you know this because you've been to them, but one of our key sort of moments are, are our thinkings. Mm. And thinkings are open to members, they're kind of interactive sessions where we set ourselves a question that we're trying to answer. And we don't do it in a sort of phone way of creating a false, Mm. you know, we have set ourselves a question and we have to, within an hour, try to answer it amongst ourselves. But the point is we we need everybody to help us answer that question. And we need to draw on everybody in the room virtually or or physically to help us sort of nuss out the issue. Mm. Because there is a huge amount of collective learning in tortoise in everything we do. Mm. And but we also, I think, offer that to our members, which is like, come along. You could be you could be the sort of leading expert in the country on this, or you could frankly be making side bowl for tea as you're watching. And we should be able to bring everybody into that yeah. conversation and by the end of it, everybody's mm. sort of the same level. You know, I'm a great believer there is nothing that's too complicated to explain if you if you know how to communicate. Yes. So if we go back to the bit I was going to reference, mm. I think it's fascinating the way you put it, and I'm going to try to capture it, is that when we look at traditional journalism, it's the six questions of why, what, where, who, where, where, where yeah. who, uh, that you have to answer. And it's 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 factual and historical. Yeah. Although if we, you know, go off at a tangent, People seem to have forgotten that news is actually meant to be factual now. Um, but the perspective you're looking at is really interesting because it's under, it's actually really how we learn, right? Yeah. It's understanding what's happened up to this point and then asking why did it happen, which is what you were saying before, mm. and also what does this mean yeah. moving forward? Yeah. Um, so it's actually future focused. It, it's, that's a very big shift. So I, if I think that it's a, Frequent think, thinking um, participant. Um, 
think it's reasonable to say that James and Matt and the other editors will often pull me in at the chat when I'm mm. in an hour. Yeah. Um, in a sort of kind of disproportionate way uh, from the whole size of the audience. Um, and, and I'm trying to start with sex and say that probably the reason behind that is because I'm on there because it's a topic I'm interested in. Yeah. I might have some knowledge. Yeah. But I'm going to listen really closely to what's being said by the panel. <clears throat> and if something comes up for me that I feel is a point of view or an idea that might add to the conversation, I'm also training <laughs> comms too. So I'll yeah. say it relatively succinctly. Yeah. Yeah. And then step away and then see if it adds. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just, I'm using that as, I think, I'm suddenly realising that that's from what you said. That's really an example of what the ethos for. and what you're looking yeah, for. You're looking for something that people can, you know, say, well, what does this mean for me? What does my knowledge base yeah. say? And what might I just throw into the pot that yeah. moves the conversation forwards or even a slight tangent? Because sometimes those one hours, they can start out with one topic and actually almost finish on another one. Oh, completely. Oh, no, we're the first to admit quite often we've asked completely the wrong question. Hmm. You know, quite often you'll get to the end of that and go, well, that was the wrong question in the first place. You know, we realise what we should be looking at hmm. is over here. Hmm. And that's, but that's told us something already. Yeah. And, and I think that your, you know, your point about, um, you know, sort of taking people on and, and you presenting some sort of counterpoint that yeah. we might not have thought of or is, is, is someone sort of, oh, I like, hang on, that's, yeah, hang that in, I like that, is precisely what was behind the whole thing because you know, we've seen so many instances of where the sort of, you know, the media completely missed things, you know, or had been so self-reinforcing in their own views and echo chambers that, you know, right, so whatever you want to look at, there have been things that come out, oh my God. And of course, if you probably invited a few more conflicting and challenging views into your, into your thinking, you might have had a better rounded view of what might be the outcome. Mm-hmm. So the whole point is, you know, and, and the other thing is that I'm, again, I'm so totally self-referencing as a parent, but the whole idea of being able to, to, to sort of argue in a healthy way mm-hmm. is increasingly a lost art. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we have this phrase that you'll hear all the time, civilized disagreement. Yes. It's entirely okay to disagree with someone if you do it in a way. And the, the analogy I always use with girls is, do not self-censor mm-hmm. for fear of offence, but play the ball, not the man. Mm-hmm. You don't have to take someone down with their argument. No. You can play the ball, not the man. Play the argument. Mm-hmm. You don't have to personalise it. You don't have to offend. You can actually deconstruct an argument. Mm-hmm. And we we need to remember how to do that because, oh, you know, I need challenging. I get things wrong. I come get stuck in my thoughts on stuff. I need fresh perspectives. I need to be reminded that things have changed and that foundation for that opinion was a long time. You know, that's fine. That's good. Mm. We need to evolve, but we need to be able to have the skills to to challenge in that sort of, as we call it, civilised disagreement or constructive way, but just depersonalise being able to mm. debate. Well, let me share for, to spinning off that for the audience, is that, you know, I, in my, my gig, I do a lot of, professional work around leadership and, yeah. and team yeah. dynamics. And you mentioned this is really a, it's a fast-growing and dynamic startup. And one of the pieces we, that I teach over and over again, uh, which I give credit to Travis Carson for bringing it forward, which is an idea called a breakdown recovery model. And there's some counterintuitive ideas in there, such as a successful team has more breakdowns than an unsuccessful team. 
as in a breakdown in sort of American English language, meaning you have a, oh my God, something's happened that's gone wrong, we need to fix it. Mm. Right? Or we've had a disagreement, or mm. we've had a conflict. Mm. Um, if if you're unsuccessful, it's because you drop into sort of gang mentality yeah. and you, you play the man, not the whole. Yeah. Right? To use that soccer analogy, yeah. global analogy. Noticing I have a global audience. Um, the, Still the language that, that they captured around what a, t- a team mindset is that his definition of a, Travis's definition of a team is a group of disagreeable people aligned around a common intention. A group of disagreeable people. Disagreeable like, makes sense. Oh, yeah. Aligned around a common intention yeah. because there's, there's also the definition of what we People who are willing to disagree yeah, with yeah. each other. Yeah. And as you say, they're looking at the idea. Yeah. Uh, and they're looking, but the common intention is, how do we move forwards from here? So yeah. it's something as simple as, you know, how do we get, you know, why, why is the coffee machine got coffee grounds in it so it's not working, which yeah. neither you and I could work out. <laughs> it. Um, but no, that, that's, yeah. that's tiny. Um, but, but it's like, well, how do we move forwards with this? Or something went wrong or. So we this, had tea instead. This did, we had tea instead. We, we had, had a solution. Yeah. So this, so. You know, that's just a, an idea. I love the way that the, it's, it's modeling that. And yes, absolutely civilized disagreement in the terminology that you've used mm. um, is a fascinating art. I, one of my mentees, um, uh, who's very left of center, <coughs> right, sorry, way further left than that in, in her historical background, was running a charitable organization. Mm. And they decided that they would have that they're national. They decided it would be really important that they went to the Conservative Party conference. Mm, mm. Right? And they went, I need to be around people I disagree with. Oh, totally. Yeah. Right. And I just, That's you know, it was, that, was, that was, uh, yeah, but the, and I thought that was really, it's really cool to actually be around there. And, you know, we think of like, we we're talking about the individual earlier, the, yeah. you know, one of the most successful podcasts in the UK. Um, is the rest is politics, yeah, which yeah. has yeah. Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart, yeah. who disagree agreeably is their yes. language. I know, I know. And they, I... they t- a totally massive uh, political, um, philosophical disagreements. Yeah. But they can disagree agreeably. And that, the, you know, if I'm being really positive about the state of dialogue in, yeah. in the world, that's built in the UK at least a huge audience. Well, the appetite for it must be huge because I don't think anyone in their right mind enjoys the sort of vacuous functional duty show. Do they? they want to hear ideas. I mean, this is, you know, there's a hunger for content. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've seen it, obviously, because the way our, our listening figures have grown over the last couple of years. And I was just thinking back to you kind of coming on board just before COVID mm-hmm. and that move to digital. And there are two things that just struck me from earlier in our conversation. One is... One is how many leaders have to say, I don't know what's going to happen. So, Mm. you know, you were forced into a Mm. sort of individualistic, compassionate, common, shared fear or whatever you want to call it. So I thought, you know, we all went into that and no one had the answers. So that kind of leveled Mm. um, leaders, I thought, within organisations. And the second point was, I, you know, I'd be interested to know what you thought on the other end yeah. of it. But what I felt was happening when we went digital with our phone kids, it was a very noisy tea trolley about to go past, was that at a time when people felt such a loss of agency, mm. you know, we were in a proper hard lockdown, rights had been restricted, we were isolated yeah. and fearful, um, that becoming part of something where your voice could be heard, mm. I think really mattered. Mm. 
I think being seen and being heard and being able to express within the community of people we built up during those thinkings. You know, we had tens and tens of thousands of people. Mm. It was 35,000 people at thinking during wow. lockdown. Wow. And you've got to think people, there was something happening there that made people want to be, mm-hmm. to give them a voice and they felt really powerless and, and to be seen and heard. Okay. So the, the two points you made, the first one around leaders having to come on and actually say they didn't have the answers. The thing is, it didn't, doesn't stop the journalists or the participants because, you know, because just to, to explain, you would have members of the editorial team monitoring and participating in massively active chats that would yeah. often go in three or four different directions yeah. at once. Yeah. And so typically people like Matt Ancona or James Harding would be, yeah. would be, would be hosting. Yeah. But have somebody giving them a word in their ear saying, go to, when you need to know, go to this person about this. Yeah. Because they, you cannot possibly, having done it myself, you can't possibly be paying attention to your analysts and monitoring the chat at the same time. Well, do you know, I've done a few and I, I haven't done live telly, but I, can ima- I should imagine it's the closest you'll get to doing live telly. It is, it is a real skill. And yeah. as I say, I, I, probably the only reason I've done a couple is because I haven't got the skill. I mean, what you're trying to do is, is all of those things. You're mm. trying, and you're trying to, and sometimes you're doing it with a room full of people. Yeah. Some people online, slightly kind of, you know, the producer in your area, but they're not, because you're trying to monitor a chat. And what you're trying to do is listen to what people are saying, keep the conversation moving to the next logical stage, mm-hmm. follow a chat, bring input. It is a, it's a lot going it on. It is a lot and going so on. And so my thoughts, you asked me what my mm. thoughts were as a participant, mm. were, were, one is if I think about the people, the visible hosts, like mm. the James Matt or whoever, mm. um, they... Their style of hosting was really, so there were two or three thoughts around what this is like at the beginning mm. uh, as a participant mm. um, or a guest, right? Mm. Uh, not a guest, sorry, just one no, of the no. audience member language. So part of the family, part of the family. Yeah. there you go. So one is that it, these are experienced journalists and they can ask really hard questions, but they were also empathetic. Yeah. So they were actually very understanding. Yeah. So what it did was create a space for the panelists, and there might be one person or three people, mm, mm. and but literally often within ten minutes, you've gone to the, somebody, yeah. in, in, one of the members, and yeah. or the or other audience, because yeah. you also open it up to wide audience yeah. beyond members. Um, so that was part of it, and I think the other part was yes, only a certain number of people are going to speak right, uh, from the the listening audience, mm. but the chats were massively active, yeah. and people felt. Uh, um, a commonality of experience, yeah. and I think that's that was my experience. That's, that's, that's so crazy, it's the yeah. feel of commonality of experience. So, mm. what it wouldn't necessarily, you know, my experience would be different from others. It wouldn't yeah. necessarily for me be about community and landing on this stuff because I mm. was constantly online. I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, got yeah. a, I got a DBT six weeks into the COVID, oh, six weeks into COVID, because <laughs> I had not left my desk. I was working. I was sitting there fourteen hours a day yeah. because I'm, exper- I'm experiencing crisis management yeah. and operationally. So I just was mm. like. And a bunch of business networks. I went, just like, open me up to everybody. Mm. They can book on my system mm. and I'll spend half an hour with 10 businesses mm. every half day and help them out. And I never left my desk. Oh, I was living in central it. London and I ended up getting a DVT. Oh, stop. Um, so I had plenty of community. Yeah. Um, but it was that commonality of experience. Mm. And I'd be sitting there, you know, thematically listening to all these people around business and mm. what's going on and going, I've got these thoughts going on in my head and wonder if everybody else has got these thoughts yeah. going on in their head. Yeah. And so whether or not 
you know, you're you're actually active in the chat or you're making this making the dinner for somebody. Yeah. Because uh, they're often at six in the evening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or whether or not you're participating or whether or not your your voice is on the mic. Mm. It was that it was the empathy of the hosts yeah. and the commonality of experience and yeah. the, and you know, you were saying earlier like shying you shy away from the word of leadership. But for me it's that leadership is also about creating a space. And when you talked earlier about uh, and I, I am going to sort of, as we say in my part of the world, big you up, I'm going to acknowledge you, is when you're somebody with a lot of business experience and you actually release the, any fear of, like, not knowing the answer, ask the question, but then have that confidence piece. That's that's modelling what you want the whole team to do. So, and just like the, ho- the, the, the holding space is a really important thing. I'm a trained mm-hmm. coach. I will occasionally use coaching mm-hmm. language. Mm. But that's what the, think, the digital thinkings did. They held space mm. for the panelists mm. and for, for the whole tortoise team, a lot mm. of whom would be actively on there um, mm. each evening mm. yeah. because they were stuck at home and you yeah, were in the yeah. office. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and for all the members of the audience. Yeah. So they, 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 and you continue to do that, right? Yeah. Some of them are digital, some of them are in person. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, what you, you mentioned it before, for those who are not familiar, the, the Sweet Bobby podcast was about catfishing. And was a stunning, long developed. It even was not all recorded, then released one a week because it got to the point where we were live reporting. We were live reporting it out, and I think it was the biggest podcast in the UK at the time when it came out. Just gone through ten million listens. Ten million listens. So Lexi Boston cats. (laughs) So (laughs) yay! And and of course, you you like so. Here I am. I was. Trying to retire, I got drawn back in, and I had to get involved with PR around a massive podcast. And yeah, know, was was slightly beyond my skill set of um, asset management, investment banking, and online gambling for my previous career. <laughs> um, but what a and again, I mean, you talked to the team. Yeah, we didn't know what we were doing in radio when we started. But you had confidence you're going to work it out. Well, we we're not entirely stupid as a bunch of people we sort of worked out. Now we have got some very clever people who really do know what they're doing when they add a sound who's had a growth in audio. But you know the rest of us were sort of, you know, gifted amateurs at the time, um, figuring out as as we sort of went along. Um uh, but it was again, if you look at Sweet Bobby, what we were doing there was we we took what essentially would have been a Daily Telegraph page three marmalade dropper story of mm. her own catfishing. Which you could just do a sort of true crime sensationalist podcast about it because you approach it the tortoise way, which is why. Well, Sorry, I'm jumping in, but yeah, no, and we're not going to give it away, okay? No, no, not um, because you've got to listen. If you haven't listened, that's a big yeah. reveal. But it's also where do we go from here? How do you stop it happening again? Where mm. is the digital crime legislation mm. that treats coercive control in a digital space as soon as it treats it in a physical space? So there's always a sort of Okay, well, we've heard this awful story, and rather than just being sort of, you know, tourists at someone else's tragedy, hmm. well, where, what do we do with it? Where do we go from here? Exactly the same with hidden homicides, exactly mm-hmm. the same, you know, with sort of most of our big series of podcasts. It's sort of saying, well, we could just report it because it's a gripping story, hmm. but we're always going to report it with a human story at the centre of it, and we're always going to report it in a way that says, well, what, you know, what, where, where do we go from there? So, so basically, mm. if somebody pitches you a podcast series, which of course you then have to invest resources, funds around, mm. it's going to be about, let's have a human story at the centre. It's going to be about something that we as a society need to understand here. Mm. And there's some questions that need to be asked at the end. Mm. Now, it's not, you know, the, 
the, the sufficient background, whether it's a, a slow news story, a podcast series, or, mm. anything, or even a thinking mm. for an hour, mm. that has enough depth and richness to the conversation that means that asking, it will mean that the question that's asked at the end is a good question. Mm. Um, and it's one that can be taken on by other people. Mm. Because, you know, it's not the role of tortoise to actually answer those questions, but it's it's a little bit like when I'm working as a coach, one of the most profound compliments I can ever get from somebody is, is if they pause and then say, that's a good question. Right? So mm. if at the end of something that it's your organization does, they go, you've really posed a good question. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's the, so much. I noticed it in the sort of dynamic first couple of months of the pandemic. Sometimes the natural, because we're all nervous and we're all not yeah. quite dealing properly. Doing yeah, things that yeah. we were intending to, yeah. but I felt sometimes the thing has lost their way a little bit because they were like they were diving into the minutiae of the moment. Yeah, because we all were. Yeah. Right. But you've but that ethos that's been created what four years ago and really accelerated with the pandemic mm. with tortoise. I, I just love it because it's so it's about this you know what's what's what has happened. That's the journalistic mm. bit. Mm. Why is that important? Mm. Like, why did it happen? Mm. Why is it important? And what what do yeah. we need to so Take what questions do we need yeah, to where ask? Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Yeah. But the other thing, I don't know if you found this, but one of the <clears> – I don't think I realise how lucky I am day-to-day just working with such exceptional people. Mm. I think I get a little bit blasé about it, and sometimes it just comes back and hits me, I think, God. You know, I have been more intellectually challenged in the last four years than all of the rest of my career put together. Wow. You know, in terms of getting a mental workout. Mm-hmm. But in that spirit of – not being, you know, not being made to feel stupid. We're all learning together. We're all learning things all the time. Even the cleverest people in this place don't know everything. Actually, I think Matt Duncan doesn't know everything. Pretty much does know everything, yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I'll retract that. But he's not eligible for the quiz. He's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but the, the, the point about it is, and I hope, and this is something I feel just in life generally, which is, you know, when none of us are here to make life more difficult for each other. We're here to make it easier for each other. Mm-hmm. And, there's a lovely phrase that Jane, my, my boss, always says, which is, you can take things seriously, but you don't have to take yourself seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think that also runs, I, I, that really, I warm very much to that phrase because mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, again, it comes back to a sort of humanity and openness, which is, of course, some of these issues are really seriously, but we don't have to be conscious about it. Mm-hmm. We don't have to be self-aggrandizing about it. We can approach it with an honesty and a humility that says, this is really awful, and we're going to go to this holding hands and do it together. Hmm. Yeah. Openness, humility, curiosity, and learning. There you go. Yeah. Some good lessons. Yeah. Um, now, I do like to, and you've pretty much done it, but, right. but, but I do like to finish by letting my guests have the last word. Any closing thoughts for the audience? No, I mean, it's great. I mean, A, it's really nice to, after our sort of digital... To meet in real know, life. Just to, yeah, just be sitting side by side. That is the great joy of the post-pandemic world. Hmm. Um, but I think what you're doing is, is is lovely. I don't know how much use this will be you've done, but there are a few thoughts on thirty years plus. I I think if you were to, I'm not going to suggest you watch it back because that might be too much for you. Uh. You might might <laughs> stick the podcast on, you know, on the headphones at some point and go. And I think I would encourage you to um, self-aggrandize yourself, <laughs> not not to anybody else, because you but say you I, hate doing that. No, but as I said but to you, been, Alistair there's Campbell, been a lot of wisdom. Well, you're very sweet, but as, as the squeamishness comes from that wonderful quote from Alistair Campbell, that he was uh, Blair's communications guy, he mm-hmm. said, once you become the story, you mm-hmm. stop doing your job well. And I've obviously been, you know, deeply trained as director of mm-hmm. 
to never be the story. So talking to you is taking me way out. Well, Tessa, thank you for being the story today. <laughs> um, that'll do. We'll wrap it up. Thanks so much. Thanks. Cheers. Bye.